0: Chapter 3, and we're talking about different things. Now that you're saved, there's some things you need to do. Uh, what must I do to be saved? Somebody tell me, what's the answer? Well, what does... Is... Believe our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no work involved. There's nothing to do. Just believe, all right? So, but now that I'm saved, believe me, there are some things to do. There are some battles to fight. There are some roads to walk. There are some things that you've got to do. So, the Apostle Paul is continuing to write his letter to the Christians in the city of Colossae, which is up in Turkey. He writes to stabilize those believers in the truth that Christ is all they will ever need. They don't need a second blessing. They don't need miracles. They don't need visions. They don't need magical powers. They've got Christ. And that's all that they will ever need to be saved and and to be secure. And secondly, that they are complete in him. Nobody can say... That they are a a more complete Christian than somebody else. You know, I don't care if you're backslid, carnal, if you're just, if you're just, you you just want to quit living for God. You're not ever going to be incomplete. You can't decomplete what Christ has made you in Him. So you are complete. You are actually, as far as God's concerned, you're, you're ready to go. You are just just as, at, at the moment's notice, you can walk straight into heaven. Not because you're good, not because you're living good, not because you're doing good, but because Christ is all you need. So He's talked about we're complete in Him, uh, and and it's it's also if we can settle that, then when it comes to sinner life and the devil lies to us and tries to convince us that we're a failure. Well, we didn't get saved right. Well, things aren't oh, things aren't working for me. Well. Your victory comes not from your efforts. Your victory doesn't come from all the things that you try to believe. Your victory comes from that completeness that is in Christ. So we're we're into that now. So what he brings us to in chapter 3 is this thing called mortifying all the old sins that still reside in us. And uh, simply mortified, and I'll repeat this several times, because I want you to remember that mortification is believing something is dead. You gotta believe that God unplugged it uh the power of sin in your life. Not he doesn't unplug the lure. You know what I mean by lure, don't you? It's a fishing term. What is lure? The temptation or the attraction of sin. Alright, sin will always have a pull on you. But what is the one thing that sin does not have power over you? Oh I just, what does one thing? It does not have power over you. That's right. So it has a pull, it has a consequence too, doesn't it? Now that I'm saved, can I get away with sin? You mean I can't play with a little bit of sin and I'll be all right? I mean, certainly God understands, right? Don't blink at me, buddy. No, <laughs> no. Um, I, 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 there's, I can't escape the consequences. I, I, there's, there's still a pull, but the power of sin has been unplugged, and mortification is when I decide to believe it's unplugged. So. Let's get right into this thing. So, Colossians, look in Colossians chapter 3. i got to get there myself. Colossians chapter 3. So, there in verse 5, it says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then he lists five parts, five members. He says, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So when we look at this mortification, what does it mean to mortify? It's a wonderful word. It simply means to put something to death. It means to render lifeless, to allow to decay or die. How could, if I have, now, um, um, if I have a, uh, um, I don't know, if I have a plant, I'm trying to come up with something on the spot. I didn't come up with this illustration, but the truth is this. If I have a plant they actually, there are plants, and one of the biggest plants in the world is over in the London Zoo, am I correct? That actually, when, when, when it blooms, it smells like something died. How many of you ever heard of that, that thing over there? It's getting ready to bloom. They've got a, they've got a live cam on this stupid thing. But it smells like the worst. Well, if you had something like that in your house, what would be the best thing to do? You say you can't, you can't actually throw it away. But what would be the best thing to get rid of it? Well, leave it, die, don't feed it, don't water it, starve it to death. And most of our problem with sin is in what area? It's in the fact that we feed our flesh. We provide. So I'm not a fan of cats. You know what that is code for? I hate cats. But I'm not a fan of cats. So if I had cats showing up on my back porch, and I keep taking a bowl of cat food out there, and tuna, and salmon, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to keep coming. But the week that I don't put the cat food out there, and then the two weeks, and then the three weeks I don't put any food out there, what are the cats going to decide to go elsewhere? So, in my life, why? These are all questions I want you to think about. Why do people still struggle with certain sins that they don't get victory over? Tell me why. Generally, I'm not dealing with all specifics, but generally... Why is it that some people never get the victory? Because they they don't want to be free. They keep feeding. They never they never render lifeless. They never allow it to die. They never starve it. They never deny it any authority over their life. So let me just rush ahead. It, it goes on. The meaning is so rich. It means to condemn something, to judge it, and divorce those sinful desires from accessing authority over your life. To mortify. Is to take something that is dead and bury it. Is actually to say, I'm finally finished with this thing. So wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody is struggling with a certain habit, a certain whether it's smoking, uh, whether it's staying up late, and not being able to go to sleep at night, um, and, and so they're watching all the wrong television shows and everything. Uh, if it is, um, if they just keep um, uh, saying. Uh, filthy communication out of their mouth, wouldn't it be nice to actually be free from that? Now, the way you get free from that is you decide you are free and decide that it's not going to have authority over your life, and when it shows up, you're going to bring it down. Every time that that temptation gets a lead in your life, gets active in your life, you're going to make it go back into the grave. You're going to make it part of a mortuary. You're going to put it back where it belongs. So we talked about this last time, so it simply means to believe something is dead, to walk away from it, being now free from it since it is dead. The Christian can, the moment that they fall on their face before God, cry out like the like the um, the publican, cry out and say, God have mercy, I'll be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. That moment that you get up, you don't have to feel any different. You don't have to have lightning strike around you. You don't have to have a halo now over your head, but you can get up and say, I am saved. Amen? Nobody has to tell you you're saved. Nobody has to lay hands on you. You can believe God's word, and you can get up saved, amen? And you can do the same thing with sin. Not that you never feel the temptation to sin. Not that you don't struggle with it. But that you are free. And mortification is when you decide it's dead. It is dead, dead, dead. Now, when he talks about mortify, therefore, your earthly members, when I think of earthly members, I think of fingers. I think of toes. I think of noses. I think of chins. I think of ears. That's kind of a joke. Anyway... But when the Bible talks about members, it talks about all of you. Starting with your flesh. That includes your muscles, chemicals, bones, fingers, eyes, feet, and all other parts. So the members, when he says mortify, it's actually, you mean I gotta, I gotta, this, this me has to, has to somehow die? Well, yes. But no. Go to Colossians chapter two. I'm sorry, chapter three. Um, verse 2. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth, for ye already are, what? And your life is hid with Christ and God. Now, how can that be true? Somebody tell me. Talk to me. Now we're into some doctrine here. How can a Christian be dead and yet breathing? Yes, sir. Okay. So, but uh, let's see if I can get some more. Give me another thought, Marcus. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I hadn't thought of that. Anybody else? Yes, yes sir. Yes. That's where my life is. Without being too technical, how many of you know if you have a big magnet and you have, um, you know, some paper clips and, and you bring that magnet within a, f- a foot of those paper clips, you get closer and closer. What's going to happen with those paper clips? Zoof! They jump up there because they're attra- the, the magnet attracts them to it. All right. But, you know, you try to do that with aluminum and the aluminum doesn't, doesn't move towards it doesn't react to a magnet. You can get the biggest magnet ever, and aluminium just passed right by it. So, what God did was he put a new you in you that is not responsive, is not attracted, And the old you, as we showed in chapter 2, has been cut away so that the old you, as far as God's concerned, is dead. Now, he's not in the grave yet, but God does not does not focus on that old you. He focuses on the new you. Who is the new you in you? It's Christ in you. So this thing of being a Christian is is so multidimensional, so multifaceted, that not that you'll ever get your head around it, but when you come to realize, all right, what I'm mortifying is I'm looking at that half of me that constantly still loves to sin. And I starve it. I I ignore it. I mortify it. I say, that part of me has no right to rule me anymore. Got this new part that doesn't sin. This new part of me doesn't love the cigarettes, doesn't love the 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 um, the sin of this world, doesn't even love this world, it loves God. And I I I mortified that part and I um, uh I I follow and I live in this new part called the new man. <clears throat> so it's two men that are described this way. Now when he says uh, all of our earthy members, they are the members of your body, not just the physical ones, but the emotional parts as well. Say, why would the emotions be important? Because that's you. I mean, you are not just fingers and toes. You also are happy, sad, angry, depressed. Those parts of you have to be dealt with as well. So, uh, so our members are the natural ways that we live and, and act without even thinking. Um, you ever seen somebody fly off the handle? You understand what that word means, don't you? That goes way back. Uh, somebody gets angry. Somebody's frustrated, sad, happy, or tired, or grumpy, or scared. You know, uh that's part of you. And it is the weakest part of you, by the way. When you get so angry, you want to strangle somebody. You're actually at your weakest. That is actually... The most infirm part of you, and you fly out the handle and you want to show them who's boss. But really, that is not strength at all. The Bible is called infirm. The Bible calls our flesh infirm, calls us weak, beggarly. And so when we're giving into that power, you're giving authority to a beggar, to somebody that has nothing, no power over you, and you're giving power to it. So. <clears throat> Simple meanings. Let's look at this. All right. So we go through these things. This is mortified, therefore, your members which upon the earth. And the first one is fornication. Fornication is all sex outside of marriage. That's what it is. It's not just one kind of sex. It's all sex outside of marriage. That includes things that are on the internet, that are virtual, things that men do with men, women do with women. Fornication is all sex outside of marriage. Uncleanness is unclean thoughts and desires. Uh, my mom, you know, would always look at my fingernails. I didn't understand that. I mean, what's my fingers got? I don't got to do anything? But she always checked for unclean fingernails. But that's not what God's asking us to make sure are clean. It's anything inside that is unclean, like thinking, desires, inordinate affection. Simply is when you love things. When you love things instead of people. I know that some people take care of their dogs better than they take care of their wives. They take care of their pets, but then they take care of their children. That's loving a thing. So inordinate means out of the ordinary or out of bounds. Your affections in the wrong place. Uh, evil concupiscence. Uh, that just simply means lust. Number five, covetousness. Covetousness is an intense demand for something that you think will make you happy. Isn't that what idolatry is? You know what idolatry is? Is when you appeal to something. To fix your problem, and that something's not God. If I only had a husband, so they worship every guy that winks at them. Oh, if I only had a had a, had a if I only owned my own house. If I only um, uh, could update my computer. If I could only go shopping for new shoes. And you say that's stupid. No, covetousness is where you have to have something before you're happy, and that is idolatry. Now, when you go through that list, it gets really convicting. Because we want to defeat depression, anger, discouragement, bad habits, but God doesn't start with those things. He says, when you conquer these five things, and, and you mortify them, they've already been crucified at the cross, by the way, you, only then can you start to deal with depression. So, I'll deal with this. Can I, can I jump ahead? Alright, so somebody's depressed. Don't tell me it's you, alright? <laughs> But somebody's depressed, and they say, "Pastor, I'm depressed. What's going on?" Pastor, I'm, I'm, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm discouraged. I, I, I feel suicidal. Well, I can say this: according to the Bible, there are five areas you ought to look at. Do you have guilt for sex outside of marriage? Do you have a, a do you have a, a history of 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 what they used to call living in sin? Because that has a consequence. All these generations of people who are living with one another and not getting married, they're going to have such consequences. So, instead of trying to focus on, well, let's make you happy. Let's come up with a joke book. I got a joke book. Let me make you laugh. You know that doesn't work with me. I can't make anybody laugh. But here I did it. Anyway, here, instead of trying to make somebody laugh, get to the issue. The issue is, what's the history of sin in their life? So, when he talks about fornication. You look back and you say, how do you view your body? How do you view, do you view it as something to just be used? Do you view sex as something that is just something you do? When, 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 when people are growing up with an idea that fornication is, is a way of life and not for just only marriage, they are inviting every demon and every grip of their life into hell. So fornication keeps you enslaved to the flesh unclean thoughts that's why what can i say it this way watching what you watch is very important careful what you listen to if you hear Eminem on the radio every day if you listen to Beyoncé and you listen to Madonna and all that stuff let me be very simple you are in you are infesting your thoughts with unclean things Do you know Eminem wrote a song he wrote a song and his mother was a wicked woman his mother used to used to sprinkle Valium on his cereal when he was a kid. Uh, She was a dope addict, and she was very strange. Anyway, he wrote a song about putting his mother in the boot of his car and driving the car off the pier. (laughs) That's how he felt about his mother. So let me tell you, if you listen to that stuff, what are you going to be thinking about? Boy, I wonder if my mother could fit in the car. No. Unclean thoughts. Not just being extreme, but just saying, you know, the, the kind of music, the kind of things that you watch, isn't that what the devil wants? Because if he can get in your eye gate, if he can get in your ear gate, and you just let him in, he didn't have to fight. He didn't have to battle. You invited it. So unclean things will make you enslaved to your thoughts. Uh, inordinate affection, will become you'll become enslaved to your possessions. That's why you love things. I still to this day remember being around five or six years old. I remember it being, I don't know, my birthday. <clears throat> I'm, I'm saying maybe seven years old. Is just before I, I fell in love with my pet rock. But I remember <clears throat> looking forward to my presents at my birthday. You know what I dreamed? That I would get, I'm just telling you honestly, maybe nobody else was this way. Maybe you're also normal and I'm so strange. Don't answer that. But when I was that little kid, I dreamed of waking up in my room filled with presents up to the ceiling. That I would have to make a corridor through all of the gifts to get to my door. That's inordinate affection. Amen. That's loving things. And I, and I would become enslaved to those things. If somebody took them all away, I would want to commit suicide. Inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, you become enslaved to your desires and your lusts, and covetousness keeps you enslaved to your lack. You're gonna tell me how a Christian will ever be happy with any of that at work in their hearts. There's no way. So no wonder Paul says you must Mortify. You're going to have to bury it. You're going to have to put it away. Deny it any authority over your life. You got to remind yourself always to avoid these things and to mortify these things. And we have good motivation for it. Why? Look in verse six. Colossians three six says, "For which things sake the love of God cometh on the children of disobedience." No, it's not even the grace of God. What does it say? The wrath of God. Um, that's scary. Like I said, you're not going to escape the consequences of messing around with sin in, in this life. The eternal consequences are paid for, but you will reap what you sow here and now. So all those things make God very angry. No Christian ever gets away with playing with any of those things. So, pastor, but uh, is, is it okay that I, you know, I mean, I used to mess around, I used to do this. Yeah, but you may, you may, can I show you something? No, I won't. Uh, I've got too much to say. Uh, you may be still alive after messing around with certain sins or whatever. But you've got to understand, you probably will carry not only scars, but the consequences of sins. And even if it was before you got saved, you can still struggle for the rest of your life. Let's deal with drugs for a minute. If you, if you took drugs, if you took ecstasy tablets, and I know people who used to take 10 ecstasy tablets a weekend. Just pop, 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 to keep them up all night. And then they wonder, I, I can't keep concentration. That'll be for the rest of their life. There are consequences for that, even though you're saved. So no, and 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 if that's true, if that's true, even crossing your salvation, when you're saved and you mess with sin, beware, because you will reap. Secondly, we walked, we lived in those sins, as unsaved Gentiles, yes, but we should be able to say not anymore. Wouldn't it be nice to have uh, a, a, a kind of Christianity that actually lives in victory instead of lives like the world, from defeat to defeat. Will you always be in victory? No. Will you will you never have more temptation? Uh, no, you'll have a lot more. But we won't walk in that. We won't live that way anymore. People ought to be able to come into your house and go, so this is what a Christian home looks like. This is what a Christian home sounds like. This is what a Christian home smells like. This is what a Christian home feels like. When I got saved, I, um, uh, I did not know anything about Christianity. And so on Sundays after church, on Sunday morning, I was invited over to morning in Jack Smith's house, and they taught me the Bible. It was my first uh, discipleship. And they taught me everything. Very basic, but I just watched. But there was a family. Now, their kids, they had uh, two children, and their children were um, older than me. Right? So I never saw family devotions. I never saw a family pray together except over, over their food. There was another family called the Heft. H-O-E-F-T family. They had nine kids. And I actually asked, what was Brother Heft's first name? David Heft. I said, David, can I come to your house? some morning, and watch you have family devotions. Because I knew they had something that I could learn from. I knew they were a Christian family. Let me tell you, watching them, listening to them, watching the interaction, the joy, the singing in the morning before they rushed off at school was priceless. What am I talking about? Shouldn't it be that if anybody ever came to your home, they could go, so that's what a Christian home is like. No cigarette butts over in the corner. Uh, no... um uh, uh, beer cans in the, uh, or, or bottles in the fridge. No, um, uh, no question about whether they drink alcohol. No question about whether they're staying up watching uh, all the different filth that's on, on television. Because God says the wrath of God comes on the world. He's also upset at the Christian who messes with it. So a sign that you're saved is the fact that you don't live in those sins anymore. Not that you never get tempted and fail from time to time, but you don't live there. So. We talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, mortifying and crucifying and it can only be done through the spirit. Um, go to Romans 8:13. I review this because we don't get to go through this every single day, but hold your place here in Colossians and Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Patrick, would you read that? Romans 8:13. Okay, the deeds of the body are what I do. The deeds of my body are the way I look at somebody. That's that's an act of my body. The way I respond to somebody. Um, The the way I reject somebody. Um, uh, Anything that I do, I need to mortify when it's not like Christ. Would that be agreed? Do you understand that? All right, but how do I do it? Through the power of who? So I imagine that there. Is just like if little Brendan here—he's going out here for a minute—but little Brendan needs to pick up a wheelbarrow, and it's filled with about eighty kgs of dirt. And you see him up there going. Arr! So Patrick comes up behind him and picks it up, and he picks up Patrick I mean, picks up Brendan at the same time, and then runs him around. And Brendan would go, Woo-hoo! "Look how strong I am!" Yeah, Brendan's not very strong. He's relying on your power to do it, right? And a Christian, if you ever get any victory, it'll be because of the power of the Holy Spirit enabling you. Stories told of a little, a little uh, rabbit and an elephant going across a bridge. A little rabbit's hopping, and hopping, and the big elephant's <laughs> boom, boom, right alongside, and they get on that swinging bridge, and that bridge is swinging and bouncing there, and that rabbit gets on the other side and says, woo, we sure did rock that bridge. <laughs> And the rabbit did nothing. (laughs) But you know, when your world rocks and really goes great, and you go, look what I got, you did nothing. It was the work of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so, um, he's enabling force, all other helps. Hey, let me ask you this. I have this thought here. I had a question there. Um. Need some helps that people turn to. What do people, when they're in trouble psychologically, emotionally, spiritually? What do they turn to? Drugs, drink, drink, friends, the internet. Sometimes they turn to something to keep them occupied. Good. Now, can all of those? Can any of those things fix the problem? No, they can't. There's nothing wrong with sports. There are some things wrong with uh, a lot of the other stuff there. But the enabling force against your old nature is the Holy Spirit of God. So, we'll just rush on. Now, uh, we got to move on to the thought here now. Let's go back to Colossians. I want to help you. I want to focus on conquering the sins that we're comfortable with. Now, uh, should it, if you're saved, can I, can I be real plain, real blatant? If you ever catch yourself looking at something on the internet, and it's, it's pornographic, it's ungodly or something, how do you think you instantly feel? What would you expect if you're saved? Killed, shocked, the heart stops, you would not be comfortable with it. You may get comfortable with it, but you would not be comfortable with it. All right. But When you get angry, whew, you're comfortable with that. <laughs> See, now we move from things that, oh, I don't want to ever touch that. I don't ever want to pick up those magazines. I never want to go to any of those sites. I never want to uh, uh, get caught or or um uh messing. I don't want to not just get caught, but find myself um uh exploring those sins of of um uh wrong love and and lust and inordinate affection and covetousness. But now we gotta deal with the things that we're comfortable with and that we don't mind picking up. So let's read now. Here, still back right there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, all right, now we're talking about mortifying the first set of things. In verse 8, he uses a new phrase. He says, but now ye also put off all these. And look what he lists. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man with his Deeds. Now, we're just going to talk about a few of these. Simply put, put off means to stop wearing them. There's no deep theological thought there, but it's true. All right, so, you ever seen anybody and they're wearing rebellion all over their face? They've got that arrogant attitude about them. They're wearing it. It is just visible on their face. Um, uh, My kids growing up, I don't use them as illustrations anymore because I forget What they were like. But I think they're all perfect now, right? That's what they are, you know. But anyway, uh, you know, if I had to deal with my son Joel, and I take him up to my office and I close the door, you could just see him stiffen up. What was he doing? He was wearing his 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 anger, his rebellion. And boy i wasn 't just dealing with something he said to Mom downstairs i 'm now dealing with an attitude. Are you with me that I have to not only correct him for what he said to Mom, I have to correct him for the fact that he 's not correctable so put it off means to actually take what you 're wearing at that moment and it could be something you 're very comfortable with so you can put on something that's better so i 'll show you this and and we'll we'll review the the, the second part he says. Nine, lie, verse 9, uh, lie not one to another, going through that list, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. So verse 12 says, put on therefore. So in verse verse uh, 8, it says put off, verse 12, so you can put on. Can I put something on and then take the underclothes off? No, oh, I got to take the clothes that are first on, take them off so I can put on the second. So in, in the work of the, of the Christian's life, we spend more time trying to get people to let go of what they love. That's the work of this Bible. Constantly get us to finally say, "All right, I need I need to let go, drop this, stop wearing it." And you can see them. You can see them. I mean, just just you know, something upsets you, and it's just you know, you've got this look, and 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 that is a. That is us wearing an attitude, and Paul says, put it off. So, so stop wearing the following sins, and they are sins, and he puts anger. Look at Ephesians 4, 31. Ephesians 4, go back to the back, uh, go back to a few pages. Ephesians 4, Adelina, would you read Ephesians four thirty-one? Here's our third phrase. First one was mortified, second was put off, third one now. Ephesians four thirty one. Okay, so now he says, "Put it away." So um, when when we talk about this thing, let how much of my bitterness do I need to put away, put off, mortify? How much? All right, how much of my wrath? How much of my anger? How much of my clamor? How many of you know what clamor is? Just put your hand up. You know what clamor or clamorous is? I want you to read the Bible. Clamor means loud, angry speaking. Ah, I am not going to pop with this anymore. That's clamor. That's just yelling. Put it away. And evil speaking. Let all of it be put away from you, including all Malice. So, um, now, you, you ought to know, go back to Ephesians, you're in Ephesians chapter four, go back a little bit, and I'll just mention this. I'll actually talk more about anger because it is a big deal. It's not something you can just switch on, switch off. Well, you can switch it on pretty quick, (laughs) but it's hard to switch off. But, um, uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, Be angry, don't, don't, wouldn't a lot of people like the Bible to stop right there with a period, amen? Be angry. (laughs) But it doesn't say that, does it? Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So anger is something I've got to understand and I've got to get a hold of because who's at the door every time I get angry? The devil is. So the moment I let my anger out, now there may come a time I was listing some of the sources of anger. Sometimes we're angry because we're frustrated at an inability to control the situation. We get angry. You're driving to the car and a guy cuts you off and you get angry because all of a sudden that person nearly hit your car or shoved you into another car. And you didn't have control of that situation. You get angry. Sometimes continued, constant pressure against you that won't stop makes you angry. That's a natural response. When life events seem to pile up against you, ask Job. You know what Job wanted? To die. You know what? He's looking at his friends, and as his friends are talking to him, you know what he said? Miserable comforters are ye all. (laughs) He's not a happy camper. Sometimes when you see someone else experiencing something unjust or a wrong, and you know that it would hurt you, you get angry for them. Anger comes up in so many different ways. The the devil loves to trigger all of those things in the life of a believer. You know what he wants? He knows, he knows he can't get you to sin unless you love it. You know what Christians love? Being angry. We love it. We, We feel alive when we're angry. Amen? Am I the only one like that? I mean, no, you're super spiritual. Okay, good. But... When when it comes to the devil, he triggers that. He triggers a sin that we're comfortable with. Um, So Paul lists key things. You can't trigger a desire to smoke a cigarette in me. You know why? Because I think it's stupid. I don't want to die of emphysema. I want to live long. I don't want to pick up a cancer stick. Well, I'm making fun of it, but I want you to understand. But he can sure stir up another sin that I love. So he will always trigger the things that I'm comfortable with. And you got to, when Paul says you're going to put off these things, he's listing things that we're all comfortable with. The first one's anger. When you find yourself wearing anger, what does that look like? Anybody want to demonstrate? <laughs> when you're wearing anger, what is the first thing you need to remember to do? Well, not just shut your mouth. You, you know what, when you're angry, you ain't going to shut your mouth. You're either going to shut your mouth and use your fist, or you're going to keep using your mouth. So... I prefer keep the mouth open keep the fist down. Um no, what do I have to do if I'm wearing anger? To ten. <laughs> yes, that's a start but right yeah, but I mean it good. So now this is this is where we're thinking differently. Okay? We got to think a little bit differently. If I if I uh i and do something. it is, okay. So I'm going through the day, and oh, what would be a good illustration? Because I don't want to be rude or whatever, but... Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, this happens to me all the time, okay? Don't look at me like it's unusual, all right? But uh, I'm coming along, I've got things planned, I've got things organized, and I've got schedules, and I look, and something's not done. And there's just something inside of me that says, but I expected that to be done. I said, I need that done, and it's not done. And all of a sudden... So, mm, mm wear that. Mm, yes, sir. Gonna put on my angry hat. Mmm. Gonna wear that anger, I'm gonna let it be known. I do that all the time, without even thinking about it. You know, when I find myself wearing that angry jacket, what do I need to do? Well, it is unrealistic. It is unrealistic, and but you know, most I would believe that 99.99999% of all anger is unrealistic. So as soon as I put that on, and the Holy Spirit goes, in, in, in. Okay, okay, right. off it goes. And I take off the anger, and I stop wearing it, and I put on the mind of Christ. How would Jesus respond? Now Jesus wasn't a whim. Jesus had to sometimes rebuke, but he didn't do it in anger. Whenever he'd ever did it with anger, it was an extreme case. And it was like, whew. And he could get away with it. I would, I would end up killing somebody. <laughs> but anger, this anger that, that Paul is telling us to put off, is, is, it becomes a way of life if we're wearing it. We never like to take it off. Um, I say, how do I get rid of it? How do I take off anger? How do I put it off? You can't do it without humbling yourself. And somebody that you've been angry to, you have to go to them and say, I'm sorry. You have to be broken. You have to humble yourself. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not hasty, hasty in thy spirit to be anger, angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of... Wow. I thought I was a Christian, but I'm acting like a fool. Second thing. I lost my button. Second thing. He says... Now we're comfortable with anger, we're also comfortable with wrath. So anger is something that we just live with. We can live, people can live in anger and they don't even bat an eye. But wrath is what you do to fulfill your anger. It's when you stay angry, believe me, if you stay angry towards somebody, you will hurt them. Either with your words or with a stick or with your fist. Um and wrath is what you do to fulfill your anger. And the Bible says, put it away. Go to James chapter 1, Rodell, James 1, 19 and 20. So when I get angry, am I helping God out? Hmm? When well, I'm angry at you, am I helping God out? No, the wrath of man doesn't help God at all. Alright, so when I have got to the place where I'm going to make sure you pay, I'm actually I'm acting actually, I'm actually like a fool. Remember Cain? What happened between him and his brother? Anger, but it turns to wrath. It says, Cain was wroth with God, and then he took it out on his brother, and he killed him. So look at that exchange. He gets angry, and God says, do you well to be angry? Oh, I do very well to be angry. <laughs> and then he ends up killing. And look where wrath took him. Can you imagine being Eve and having to live with the first murder in all of history? Wrath. He said, I would never go that far. You have no idea how far you'll go. Be careful with your anger because it will it is it is almost instant that your anger will become wrath. Wrath belongs to God. Um, uh, so never wear wrath. Put it off as soon as you find yourself so angry that you want to do something. Um, I'm gonna go give my peace of my mind. Don't do that. Uh, Ephesians 4 31 commands us to put it away each time it shows up. You know why? Because you can't handle it. Go to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, let's see, Darren. Proverbs 21, verse 24. So what is glued to wrath? Pride. Once you've got somebody to the place where they are thinking about hurting someone else, it's almost impossible to turn their attention away. That's why it's so dangerous to go from for allowing yourself to have anger for any amount of time, because it'll quickly turn to wrath, and then something glues itself to wrath and is pride, and you're not going to dethrone that very easily. Look in verse chapter twenty two, verse twenty four, uh, Miss Sherry. Why do you think? Go ahead. Okay, so two big things, but in the simple phrase, why not? I mean, you know, so what? He's got a, bit, a little bit of an angry problem. Don't go with him. Why? It will rub off on you, and what else? It will end up hurting you. It'll hurt you to your soul. So don't even mess with anger. Don't even let wrath be something that you wear. Third thing, I'm, I have to run. Malice. Malice is meanness. Remember when you had a kid that was just mean to everybody? Well, it is a desire to get even. Haven't they proven it that most bullies were bullied when they were growing up? So what are they doing when they pick on somebody? What are they doing? They're just trying to to, to get even with somebody they can't touch, so they just hurt everybody else. So malice is what we take it upon ourselves to think about what we can do to get even. You ever do that? Did you ever get hurt and you go, I'm going to make sure they hurt? How can we be Christ-like when we're so mean in our words, when we're ugly, disrespectful, short-tempered, aggressive towards the brethren? I believe not only should we be the happiest people, but we should be the most respectful, the most honoring of one another, not thinking of ourselves. We should just, boy, boy, should never end up where somebody who gets hurt ever just says I'm gonna hurt him back. You know what? When you get hurt, where do you go? You go, yeah, go to Jesus. But you go to the cross. What can be nailed at that cross? Yeah, but my desire to get even. The thing that I I I we find ourselves so comfortable with, somebody hurts now. I don't think anybody in this room would normally hurt one another, at least not willingly. We do, it, we do it naturally, but not normally. But the world hurts us. If you ever face persecution, you know what most ultimate martyrs, what most Christians who have experienced real persecution, you know what they battle with? Two words. Bitterness. And they don't actually think of it as malice, but they think of they want Justice. They want they want uh, people who were who were um, tortured in Siberia, tortured for being Christians in Vietnam, tortured for being Christians in Cambodia. You read their life stories, and their and during during World War II in in concentration camps in Nazi Germany and the torture. You know what they wanted, and they struggled with. They wanted God to kill their captors, and then they had to stop. And they go, you know, Lord, I'm too comfortable with that. Please help me to have an example life. Help me to witness. And if you ever read a story, you ought to watch um, uh, Corey Ten Boom. Read the books that she wrote. She lost her sister who convinced her to love the un- unlovely. Malice. I'm, I'm just here to tell you we all are comfortable with malice. Fourthly, he lists blasphemy. Blasphemy is anything that would demean God in the eyes of someone watching and listening to you. He's not talking about you blaspheming with your mouth. I'll show you something. Uh go to Romans chapter two. You can uh turn there. Let's see. I'll ask I'm gonna guess this is Haiti. Oh, it's Ruth. I hate that. Anyway, um, Romans chapter two, verse twenty four. Just stop there for a second. Just get the idea. Paul is talking to Jews who were claiming to be Christian, and maybe they were, they maybe they weren't. We're not sure at this point. He's preaching to them, trying to get them to know the gospel. And he's talking to the Jews and he says, the name of your, your lives as, as hypocritical Jews are causing Gentiles to blaspheme God. So, I may not, I, I may not have a problem with ever saying anything that would be dishonorable about God. I may never ever curse the name of God. I may never say something, say something that would bring God disrepute, but I can live it. I can live in such a way that the world looks and goes, ha ha, that is a fraud. That is, is, is the worst kind of a Christian. And that shows the world that Christ is not alive. That's blasphemy. I'll show you another one. Mm, Titus 2.5. Juliet, Titus 2, 5. Now, go start back, if you don't mind, verse 3, 4, and then watch how 5 just grabs you. 2, verse 3, 4, and 5. So, what could blaspheme the truth of the Bible, according to that verse? Their behavior. And so, Paul gives a list of things that are expected of Christian women. First, of the older women to teach the younger women, so that the word of God is not, what's the word? Blaspheme. So, not only do I have to worry about whether my mouth would, I would I would wager. Can I say that? No, I can't say that. I would hope... <laughs> that I would never, ever blaspheme God with my lips. Amen? That would be so abhorrent to me. But I can cause somebody else to blaspheme God. Or my life can be so hypocritical or so pathetic that it illustrates a feeble, weak, worthless, empty, dumb, dead God. I don't want to do that. Show another one. One more. Mm-hmm. First Timothy 6.1. Back to page one or two there, Josiah, 1 Timothy 6 1. <clears throat> All right, I know too many Christians who are too comfortable with telling their boss off saying, I never liked working here, I thought you were the worst boss ever, I am done working for you. Goodbye. And what does the Bible say that person just did? The doctrine of God. It is terrifying. So, when he says, put away blasphemy, don't just think about blasphemy with your mouth, which would be terrible if a Christian is going out and they go to the topaz and they they, stub their toe and they go, oh, Jesus, oh, and they're going, what in the world? It doesn't belong in the, in the mouth of a Christian, but the life of the Christian can cause blasphemy. Put that away. How we live, how we respond, how we act, how we talk, can blaspheme God, even though we don't use words to blaspheme. So put it away. Uh, some Christian coming in here, can you imagine if some Christian, one, one of our group came in with a t-shirt and had blasphemy. I mean, something blasphemous. Like Jesus and Mary married. Jesus Mary Magdalene, like they do in the... Um, uh, What's that thing? The last temptation of Christ, and all these stupid things that are up now. Um, the, uh, uh, the world loves blaspheming Christ, and they say that Mary Ma- Magdalene and Jesus got married and all this stuff. It's blasphemy. I can't imagine somebody wearing that T-shirt or that hoodie and coming into church. You'd go, Don't change. What are you doing? But our lives can do the very same as, as words or or picture on our hoodie. Lastly. Filthy commun actually, second filthy communication out of your mouth. What are we referring to? Dirty jokes. Tearing someone down. Gossiping. Promoting sin and especially dealing with sexual sins. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Telling what we call, you know, the dirty jokes. When you say anything shameful, you know, I, I don't I don't know much today that makes anybody embarrassed. Do you? I still chalk it up. To, uh, Bill Clinton and his escapades there back in 19, what was it, 1995 when he was caught with Monica Lewinsky? And every detail of his filthy, wicked life was put on the newspapers all over the world. And ever since that day, the newspapers and the news just talks about stuff like it's nothing. And it grieves me, I still mark to this day, that is filthy communication. And I like that word communication because it is, it is everywhere and you can't even, I don't buy the newspaper. I used to, I used to dream of sitting down with my sons and my daughters and going over history and going over things going on. If there's a war in Syria, if Lebanon is being attacked again, I wanted to talk to my kids about the world events and discuss it, but I couldn't buy the newspaper because when you open the newspaper, the Evening Echo or the, uh, used to be called the Cork Examiner, and you just went one page two page in it was filled with filth and that was 20 years ago filthy communication Well here's the point that shouldn't come out of my mouth either you know do you ever see anything that's shameful? look at Ephesians 4:29 um, Heidi, Ephesians 4:29. Alright, so how much corrupt communication, evil communication can come out of my mouth and I'd be okay? I want to think about it. It's hard, you know. Read it again. Any evil communication, corrupt communication, things that are just should not be said. It shouldn't be said. Is that easy? It's not easy. Because you'll always justify, well, this needs to be said. It's terrible. Uh, Ephesians 5 4. I'm going to ask, let's see, Nathan. Ephesians 5 4. Uh, we make a fun of everything. We make fun of everything, unfortunately you got to be careful. Are you ministering grace? Are you encouraging? Are you just loving getting everybody to laugh at your laughing at something? It's pretty It's pretty intense. Mortify all this stuff as well. Put it away. Nail it to the cross. One more thing. Lion. Eric's got a joke about the... What's the name of the... What's the kind of dog it was? Jack Russell. He's a lion in the street. He's not a lion. That's a Jack Russell. Anyway. We're talking about something that your parents should have taught you. I think my parents didn't, maybe they, I don't know, maybe they weren't that good at teaching it, but there are four great things that every parent should teach their children. One, to work hard. Secondly, to obey. Thirdly, to tell the truth. And fourth, to take responsibility when they've done wrong. I don't find that having been done in the majority of people. To tell the truth, I don't have anybody. You know, if you're saved, it ought to it ought to hurt you, it ought to grieve you that you ever tell a lie. And the only way, can I be honest with you? The only way that I've ever gotten the victory over any lie is to take off the uh, stop wearing the the idea that I can get away with it, and go to the person I lied to and say, "I lied. I'm sorry. I got to tell you the truth is." And even if it's just. Flipping, it's nothing important, I gotta say. I have to go and say, you know, I exaggerated. Uh, that wasn't quite right, I, I lied. What does that do? It dethrones the devil, it humbles you, and it reestablishes truth. You think that's ever gonna be easy? You think it's priority? It has to be priority. How much lying should a Christian be comfortable with? Psalm 34, 13 says this, Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Guile is an old word for lying. Keep your tongue. If you got a a dog and it kept getting out of the back fence, you know what you got to do with that dog? Put it on a leash. You got a tongue that just keeps lying? Just don't open your mouth. For a long time, keep your tongue. Proverbs 13, 5 says, A righteous man hateth lying. Matthew five thirty seven, but let your communication, Jesus said, be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more of these cometh of evil. So what do you say? Yes or no? no? Don't go, well, you know, uh, no, it becomes it becomes an exaggerated lie. John eight forty four, year he of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh the lie, he speaks of his own family. He's a liar and the father of it. So when you're lying, who are you making happy? The devil. Ephesians 4.25, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Now, let me finish this. What are all those things? They're part of the old man in you. Now, when we think of old man, that's what we think about. You know what the old man really looks like? He looks like that. That's your old man. He is happy. He's comfortable. He's content. He lives this way. That is your old man. And he, if you, if you weren't aware of this stuff, he gets away with ruining your life and he's happy to do it. That's the old you. So the old, your, your old life, your old habits is your flesh. These are the things that you do by nature. You just, you do them naturally and you have no qualms about it. They, and they are the things that we still hold on to even after we've been born again. You know, I know some people who are saved years and years. And I know they're lying right through their teeth. Um, I says, um, I'll say, uh, you know, i say, you know, what are you doing on Sunday? Oh, I'm busy. Liar. <laughs> I know, right? I'm busy. Oh, you're a liar. Um, they are comfortable with lying. All those things that we've just listed need to be put off, mortified, and believed to have have no more power over you. So we need to do five things with every sin that creeps back into our lives. I'm not going to go through this. We'll go through it another week. But you're going to have to examine yourself. And let me be honest with you. It's nice when somebody else can say to you, you know, your your mouth's a little bit too sharp. Your mouth, you're being a little bit too rough. You're not being gracious. Uh, You're cutting people down. Uh, Your eyes are wandering, you know. If 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 you're not judging yourself, somebody else ought to be able to point out stuff and help you. Um I don't want that. I don't want anybody pointing out my sin. But you know what? That's why I got married. <laughs> and that's why I'm in a church and I feel comfortable where people can say, you know, Pastor, that was rough. Or Pastor, boy, I wish you hadn't. Or, Pastor, da, 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 I don't care. You know, if you if you trust me enough to to love me and tell me the truth, trust that I'll love you to tell you the truth too expose, uh, you need to expose sin inside of you, bring them to the light. Like I said, all of a sudden you're wearing that anger, you're wearing that wrath, you're wearing that evil speaking, and you said something sharp to somebody, best thing you need to do is expose it and say, I'm aware of this thing and I'm sorry. I'm dealing with it and I want to have the victory over. Mortify it. Put them in the dealt with bin. That's the rubbish bin. You say, I've dealt with it and I believe it's dead. It doesn't have power over me. And every time it pops up, I'm going to put it back down. Uh, And then divorce myself from it. I don't want to love it anymore. You know what happens in a divorce court? Two people who want to kill each other decide to walk away so they don't. (laughs) And your frustration with some sin in your life needs to be where you walk away from it and say, I don't want to deal with it anymore because I'll end up dead. And then replace them with better ones. And we'll talk about that in the next time. So, any questions before we quit? I mean, we covered a lot of stuff. Any questions? It's been a long day. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God that deals not only with the hard sins, but the comfortable sins. And I'm guilty. I hate the fact that, save 37 years, the old me just comes out. And it seems the older I get, the more it comes out. I don't understand that. I thought I was supposed to get constant victory. I thought it would be easier. But it's not. But it's worth it. It's worth putting up a fight. And God, just scriptures like this remind me, let all bitterness and wrath and evil speaking and clamor be put away with all malice. and, And that word let is on me. I either let it run my life or I let it out. So, Lord, help us be believers again. Help us be believers of this book that is true and that sin shall not have dominion over us, but that the, that the life that we live now, we live by the faith of the Son of God. And we live by the grace and we live by the power of the Holy Spirit instead of the power of the flesh. So I pray for your help tonight. In Jesus' name.